for making yourself known to us, showing us the way of salvation through faith in your Son. We ask you now to teach us your word so that we may be ready to serve you. For the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So the first reading is Acts 9, verses 20 to 31. Starting from verse 20. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through the opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with, Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. The next reading is Galatians 1, verse 11 through to chapter 2, verse 10. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism, Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God 
because of me. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and, meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also in work, at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship, when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Good morning, Narrabur and 10 a.m. My name is Adrian, but everyone calls me Foxy, so I'm the Foxy that was referred to earlier. Uh, it's really good to be here. Uh, happy Mother's Day. I hope you're having a good day so far, but we're going to get into this passage, Galatians 1, verse 11 to 2, verse 10 of Galatians. And I wonder if you've ever said or thought before, I don't know if I believe it. I don't know if I believe it. I don't know if I believe what the Bible teaches. I wonder if that thought has ever entered your mind. I don't know if I believe it because I'm just not really sure about the Bible. It's an old document. It was written by a whole lot of different authors. I'm not sure it's relevant today. I don't know if I believe it. But also, I don't know if I believe it because it actually sounds too good to be true. The Bible teaches some of the most amazing, beautiful truths that the world will ever hear. Not only does the Bible reveal the absolute majesty of God, the Bible teaches that at the heart of our majestic God is a God of love, a love that is unmatched and more sincere than any love any human could ever know, a love that led his son Jesus Christ to leave his throne in heaven, to live in the flesh, to die upon a cross, to be raised to life as the Lord of every soul, to set up a kingdom that will last forever, that will be beyond excellent. You might be thinking, I don't know if I believe it. But there's more, and the next truth was one that really rattled the early church believers, especially those of Jewish heritage. To be part of this righteous, excellent kingdom did not require the servant to be righteous with their own efforts. To be part of this excellent kingdom did not require special qualification, nor special birth, nor special education. Rather, entry into this kingdom relied on the undeserved kindness of God, on His grace. It relied on the person and work of Jesus Christ. I don't know if I believe it. Because no other group works like this. To be part of an elite private school, to be part of the right friend group, to be part of the best sporting team, to be part of a prestigious club, to be part of a top tier company, all 
All these groups rely on our achievement and in some cases, our heritage. But the greatest kingdom, the most excellent club, if you can put it like that, relies not on us, not on you or me, but on Jesus Christ. I don't know if I believe it. It sounds too good to be true. It sounds too different from the world I live in. And so I'm really thankful for what we've just read in the Bible because these words give us confidence in what the Bible teaches. And it was a word that the church in Galatia really needed. They'd been taught the gospel concerning Jesus Christ by the Apostle Paul, the author of this letter which we're reading today. And I'm sure he proclaimed something similar to what we can read in Acts 13, that forgiveness of sins came through the risen Lord alone, uh, that through Jesus every believer is set free from every sin and even set free from living under the law, which God had given his people in the past. It was a radical message, especially for the early Jewish believers who had devoted their lives to the law. And so it's understandable that some of these early Jewish believers taught something different. They taught to be part of God's excellent kingdom, you did not only need faith in Jesus, you also needed to follow certain traditions, like the need for men to be circumcised or to follow certain religious festivals. They taught a false gospel and they really weren't content with Paul teaching another one. And so they attacked Paul's character and his authority as if to cause people to doubt his message, to make people think, I don't know if I believe it, and then give up on Paul's gospel altogether. And so in these chapters, Paul gives an account of how he received the gospel and a trip he took to Jerusalem. As he tells these stories, he is showing why his gospel, is the, the gospel which sounds almost too good to be true, is trustworthy and right. And so the first thing today, you can see on the back of your bulletin, is listen and believe Paul's gospel that came directly from God. Now one of my favourite games to play with a small group, I often used to play it at a youth group, is called Chinese Pictionary. Has anyone ever played it? So few people. Oh, well, at morning tea today, come down the front, we'll play this game. It's very much like Chinese whispers, but the only difference is, is that rather than passing along a message, you're passing along a picture. So the first person draws a picture, and they hand it on, and then they write down the picture with words, and the next person has to draw the picture which was written in words, and the piece of paper keeps going around the circle. It's hard to explain, but it's really great. But basically what ends up happening is that your first picture by the end of the round is completely different from the first one. So one of my most memorable was I drew a picture of a person sailing a boat. The picture at the end was a small child eating a monster burrito. It was great. I stuck it up on my wall in uh, the office. The thing is, is that as the game works, the, the original message, the original picture, it just ends up distorted. And that's kind of the charges which have been leveled at Paul, that his gospel, his gospel which included the message of freedom from law, is actually a distortion. And so Paul argues that his gospel was directly received from God. Verse 11, I think this is the key verse. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached to you is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. He then gives some reasons why we can believe this statement to be true. First, he says, think about my former way of life. His former way of life was radically different from his new way of life. He intensely persecuted the church of God and he tried to destroy it. Paul was strongly against Jesus Christ. His life goal was to tear down the church of God. He approved the killing of the first Christian martyr 
He regularly threatened the Lord's disciples, seeking to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And he was advancing in Judaism, extremely zealous for Jewish traditions passed down to him. Paul, by definition, was a passionate, devoted Jew. And I imagine if we knew him, we would have thought, man, here's a guy who was set in his ways. He's a train on a track and nothing will derail him. For this man to change path, to get off track, well, it wouldn't need human intervention. It would need divine intervention. I think that's what Paul's getting at. He's saying, look at my old way of life. Something huge must have happened for me to change my ways. Something out of this world must have happened for me to change tracks. Something like God revealing himself directly to me. Which is exactly what happened. Uh, While he was on the road to Damascus, a light from heaven flashed around him. At this he fell to the ground and the Lord Jesus revealed himself to Paul. On that road, Jesus personally and directly made it clear to Paul that he was the risen Lord. And this event changed Paul's life direction. He went from destroying the church to be willing to die for the church. But for the Galatians, the point is not just how amazing is God's grace that God would show mercy to his enemies, but that this revelation was direct to Paul. There were no middle people. There was no Chinese whispers or Chinese pictionary. This was a direct revelation to Paul. And Paul, he just keeps hammering this point. He makes it really clear that this gospel had no human interference. If you've got your Bibles open, you can see it in verse 16. He writes his immediate response to Jesus' revelation was not to consult with any human being. In verse 17, he makes it clear he did not go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles. In verse 18 to 19, he clarifies that later when he went to Jerusalem, he only stayed with Peter, one of the apostles, for 15 days, which is really not much time at all. And while he was there, he only saw James, not any of the other apostles. In verse 21, he emphasizes that when he went to Syria and Sicilia, He was unknown to the churches of Judea. He had no previous contact with them. Over and over again, like a glitchy YouTube video, he repeats the same thing. The gospel was not received from man. His gospel came direct from the source. I think a historian calls this primary evidence. Why does Paul want to make this so clear to the Galatians? He wants them to believe his gospel. Not because it's about him but because he received this message, this revelation directly from Jesus Christ. It's a message to be trusted. For us, this is really important. The letter we're reading today is an ancient document. It's from a long time ago. And our culture today is a skeptical one. It's a suspicious one. We're constantly being told that histories have been rewritten or wrongly told in order to advance the power of privilege. And I'm sure that's happened on occasions. But this letter, this book, this historical document is a word directly from God. God is the same today as he was then, as he has been and will be for eternity. The message is written by Paul, but it was given directly from God. You might think, I don't know if I believe that. But Paul writes to say, believe it. His gospel his gospel of freedom, his gospel of grace is a word directly from God. Listen and believe it. Second point, 
uh, hold on to the unchanged gospel of grace. See, the false teachers, they, they kind of like had multiple strategies for taking Paul down. First, they say, Paul copied the gospel and somehow, somehow he got it wrong. And Paul says, no, I got this gospel directly from God. The second uh, way he kind of goes, the second strategy they kind of do was to, to hint that Paul's gospel was different from the other apostles, that he somehow had changed the gospel. Is this attack which Paul deals with in the first half of chapter 2? It'd be very bad news for Paul and to the growth of God's kingdom. You could imagine it. Imagine today at church if you heard two messages taught by two people you trusted, uh, but they contradicted each other. Imagine if Paul came up after me and taught something that was completely contradictory to what I've just taught. How would, how would that affect you? How would that affect our whole church? Now take that thought experiment and multiply the implications. Because the apostles were not simply leaders of an early church. They weren't just leaders of, you know, Narrowburn, Camry, Anglican Church. Their teaching was the foundation of the church. In verse 9, they're described as pillars, which captures that idea of their teaching being foundational to God's new covenant people. Now, if you mess with the foundation of a house, the whole house comes down. Paul also refers to these apostles as esteemed, as those having influence, in verse 2 and 6. And so if these false teachers uh, can show Paul's gospel is different from theirs, you could just imagine it would have a massive impact on ministry. Which is kind of what Paul is getting at in 2 verse 2. He says, or he writes, I presented to them, the apostles in Jerusalem, the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Now when I first read this, I thought, oh, Paul was making sure that his gospel was right as though he needed to confirm his gospel with the apostles, as if their message was the superior one. But if you think about it for a moment, that makes no sense of the argument so far. Paul has been clear that his gospel came directly from Jesus. He is 100% confident he is right. So rather than wanting to check his gospel, he's kind of checking on the apostles. He wanted to be sure that the apostles were preaching the true gospel, for if they are not, the whole house would come crumbling down. If they were not, these esteemed leaders would be meeting, leading many people astray, leading many people back into slavery under the law. And so Paul's ministry would have been in vain. And so in this section, Paul no longer keeps his distance from the apostles, but instead he gets real close and he says, no, my gospel was the same, is the same as theirs. And again, he tells a story from the past. This time it is a trip to Jerusalem, probably 14 years after his conversion. As we consider this next part, it's important to remember what the false teachers were teaching. They were teaching in order to be part of God's excellent forever kingdom, you needed to be circumcised. Now, that might sound a little bizarre to us, but this was part of God's law to his people. You can read it later in Genesis chapter 17. Uh, God made a promise or a covenant with Abraham and his descendants. He promised to make them fruitful and he promised that he would be their God. Part of a res the response to this covenant was for males to be circumcised as a way of signifying that this covenant was truly part of them. It was cut into them. And it also ensured that this covenant would be passed on. And so to be circumcised was deeply significant. It was a sign you were part of God's covenant people. However, in the coming of Jesus, God's people were freed from the law. 
so that not just Jews but non-Jews could be part of God's excellent kingdom. No longer was circumcision required to be part of God's people. Rather, the way of entry into God's kingdom was by faith in Christ Jesus. And so this is the issue to keep in your mind as we head into Jerusalem. Paul goes with Barnabas and Titus. Now, go with Barnabas, not a big deal. Uh, Barnabas was a Jew. He was probably circumcised. But Titus, verse 3, he was a Greek, not a Jew, not circumcised. And so all eyes are on Titus. As we meet the apostles, as he meets the apostles, which gospel will they preach? Will they accept him as one of God's people because of his faith in Christ? Or will they compel him to be circumcised like the false, false teachers taught? Verse 3, yet not even Titus, who was, with, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. And then in verse 4, the pressure mounts, because in verse 4, false believers have infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. This is war. And the false teachers, they can't, I'm just sitting back here. The false teachers are right in there. They're not holding back. They're going hard. They're fighting like a war to make people slaves, to bring them back under law and not under grace. What will the apostles and Paul do in this battle? Will they give in to their demands? Will they stand firm as the pressure mounts? Verse 5, no one, no one gave in to them for one moment. Titus was not forced to do anything to be part of God's kingdom. The gospel of grace the gospel of freedom from law was preserved. Paul's gospel and the apostles was the same. Paul had not changed the gospel in any way at all. Further to this, the apostles recognized that Paul's task was legit. They acknowledged, just like Peter had been given a task to preach to the Jews, so Paul had been given the task to preach to the Gentiles. Not only that, the pillars, James, Cephas, John, key leaders, the apostles of the early church, gave him and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship and acknowledged the grace that was given to him. It is clear that Paul is unified with the other apostles. They are unified in what the gospel is, and they are unified in taking this gospel to the world. Paul did not change the gospel. So hold on to this gospel. Hold on to Paul's unchanged gospel, because it wasn't a work of his imagination. It was a gospel that was taught by other apostles too. I kind of reckon when you read a passage like this, it does feel quite distant to us, doesn't it? And we can start to wonder, why, why would I care? Why should I care that Paul's gospel was the same as the other apostles? But I think it, the impact is actually really big. Imagine if their gospels were different. What would that do to your belief? Oh, it'd be shattering. But their gospel was the same. Paul's gospel was unchanged. And this gives us confidence that the gospel we know is true. And we really do need this confidence. Now, we live in an age of anxiety. We live in an age of doubt. We live in an age of persecution where people work hard to undermine our beliefs. And so we need to be sure that the gospel we treasure is true. We need to be confident because sometimes it sounds too good to be true. The gospel teaches that to be part of the greatest kingdom the world will ever see does not require qualification and it does not require quantity of good works. Rather, to be part of the excellent kingdom finds its focus on Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Sometimes we might think, oh, it sounds too good to be true. It just sounds too good to be true, or it just sounds too different from the way the world works. But listen and believe the gospel, for it came directly from God. 
and hold on to the unchanged gospel of grace. If you ever find yourself saying, I don't know if I believe it, come back to the gospel of grace that was passed on to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks uh, that we can have confidence in the gospel of grace. Uh, We can have confidence to know that by faith in Christ Jesus, we can be part of the greatest, most excellent kingdom the world will ever see. Please help us to listen and believe this gospel. Please help us to hold on to it no matter what. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been reminded this morning of the core gospel truth revealed by God, that our Redeemer Jesus paid the price for us that we may live. And so daily, we seek to turn away from our sin and live our lives for Him. Well, let's encourage one another in song in this vein. So please stand and let's sing this life I live. <laughs> 